Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Bohm, your host. I am the founder of the Uncivilized Movement, the Uncivilized Nation, and the author of the books, Man Uncivilized, and Today I Rise. And today I did another joint episode with my good buddy, Rainier Wild. And by joint episode, Rainier and I have recorded before, we've recorded for each other's podcasts, and we decided as opposed to him recording me, and then we push stop, and then me recording him, we would just jam. And we jam on some amazing topics here that I think all men should listen to. Uh, we specifically dive into masculinity. We specifically dive into the experience of being male right now and what trips us up. Like what happens to us when we start to experience loss and how we navigate out of that loss, how we look at myth, how we look at our lives. It's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful conversation. I loved it. Uh, I love this format and I know you will too because it's not just one person asking a question and then 15 minutes later saying like, wow, thank you so much. And then asking another question, like we really riff back and forth here. So if you, if you get something out of this, please do me a favor and share this episode. I think this is one that again, like every guy needs to hear. Uh, a lot of women will listen to this to better understand men, but this is truly one that every guy needs to hear. And if you would, I'm still going to keep asking this every episode, please, 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 please go to Spotify. Please go to iTunes. Please go to wherever you're listening to this and leave me a review. I know it's a little bit of a pain, but you know what? I do it too. I go to, I've reviewed Mickler's podcast. I've, I've like put the five stars on a bunch of people's podcasts. Why? Because I want to help them get their message out. It's not just about promoting the podcast. It's really about promoting a message that I believe in. So please take a moment and do that. And again, check out Rainier's work, you guys who are on my side. Check out his website. Check out his Instagram. He's a beautiful writer. He's truly a poet and has a, a lot of insight into myth and the mythical side of masculinity that I deeply appreciate. So here we go. Rainier Wild. Let's jam. Rainier Wild, welcome back to a combined podcast experience, but welcome back to, for my listeners, to the Uncivilized podcast. It's a pleasure to have you back on. For, for you guys listening, Rainier and I decided instead of him interviewing me and then we just swap roles and me interviewing him, we would do what uh, I've done a few times, which is just have a like an open dialogue around some men's issues and see where we go. But for my audience, Rainier, for the three guys who may not have heard of you yet, uh, can you tell people who you are in the world and what you do? So, so Traver, the last time you actually asked me this question, it, it, caused such a flummox in my in my like elevator pitch moment of crises that I think we expanded on it for 20 minutes so I'm not going to I'm not going to do that this time I'm just going to give you the bullet points I need to go back to when I was three okay all right, uh, right. <laughs> who are you uh, 
no um I think the easiest way to talk about it is really what I do. You know, what I do every day when I wake up in the morning, I write, I teach, I speak. And the things that I seem to write and teach and speak about are what I would call awakening, awakening to the profound sense of the here and now living fully and deeply in the here and now mm. in relationship to self and, and others and, and, and maybe even the, the moreness of uh of this incredible world around us i also teach and write and speak about shadow mm. which is a part of that mourness there's more going on to all of us than meets the eye sure and then how all of this is related to intimacy which is mm. the place where the wound was born and and so often the place where the wound is healed. So I think that's maybe just the easiast way to talk about it uh, without, going, <laughs> without going into too much crazy detail. <laughs> How about you, Traver? I mean, you know, it's been a while. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't remember when we first talked, like just throw yourself out there to, to my crew. Sure. Who are you, Traver? <clears throat> I, I will say the same. Uh, I do the same. I write, I speak, I teach. I'm the founder of the Uncivilized Movement, the author of the book, Man Uncivilized. And lately, what I've been doing is building more of a company, actually, Rainier. Mm. It's been a whole different headspace than sort of the philosophicalizing and feeling into and the conversating. I've been, yeah, I've been having to build a business or build a company, rather. But my heart is still, my heart is still in looking at culture. My heart is still at looking at behavior. And in the same vein that you said, in relationship, in intimacy, in cultural intimacy, in cultural, intima uh, cultural relationship, I'm obsessed with why people do what they do. Like that to me is, I just want to know, like, why do you do what you do? What, what's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's under, I'm like a three-year-old, like, but what's underneath that? Why? 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 Okay. So especially around men, even though I think the human experience is, has been, we've had more insight into it in the last year than ever before that how universal it is rather than how segmented it is for men and women. But that's really my obsession. It's like, why the hell do people do what they do? And how do we get them to a more authentic form of expression? Mm -hmm. I was talking to a guy this morning and, and told him about reading the Tao of Jeet Kune Do as like a 14 year old Bruce Lee's like seminal book. Right. And I remember Bruce Lee, he's just talking about expression and at like 14, 15, I was like, how do I just kick ass? Like, how do I throw my punch faster than everybody else? Like this whole expression thing can get put to the side. And now at 45 go, Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. This is literally everything. Mm -hmm. How you express yourself, how you don't express yourself, what you want to express, but you won't, what you've been shamed out of, what you've been traumatized out of, what you've been pushed into that's not your own. That to me is just a lifetime fascination. And I'll dive down that wormhole for the next hopefully 40 years of like, how do people express themselves truly? So yeah, that's what I do. I sell t-shirts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I make tacos. That's that's really in life. That's it, basically. <laughs> 
That's great. No, I mean, I, actually, if I could just jo join in there, I think yeah. that one of the things that instantly comes up for me is what you're talking about is this uh, rather profound stage, not only in a, a person's development, and, and in this case, your own, but also we're talking cultural development. And so maybe I would just set a larger frame by by saying this is something that I think a lot of men are asking right now, mm -hmm. what you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, who am I? Mm -hmm. How did I get to be here? Mm -hmm. What forces have have acted upon me to create this, this uh, occurring that I am? Mm -hmm. And and how can I change my stripes? Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing as free will? Right. And, and of course, so much of this isn't ever philosophical. And in truth, it's never philosophical. It's always behavioral. It's always the single next step. How can I live this next moment? Well, mm -hmm. and we get in all kinds of strange places, like thinking that we can think our way into living. And of course we can't, but, but, but of course, these are the concerns of someone in that middle transition of adulthood, right? I'm thinking you're 45, I'm 41 roughly we're falling into mid-adulthood and particularly for men in this stage of development that's when men look down at their bodies and they go oh there's problems i can't solve with my body mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. <laughs> that the last set of skills that i acquired aren't sufficient to overcome the problems of the day mm -hmm. and so we begin to look inward and we <laughs> begin to say what's going on here and, and who am I really? And that's why, of course, those questions like, well, who are you, Traver? Or who, who are you, Rainier? Right. They're actually just a, a little bit more interesting and nuanced than we think. Mm -hmm. So I guess all of that creates a, a question I want to ask you, if sure. that's okay. Sure. Which is, what in the world today, if you could put your finger on the pulse and maybe name a few things, what's really going on on the ground mm -hmm. with men today? <clears throat> What are the crises they're facing? I think for the first time, Rainier, and I wasn't around in the Robert Bly days and the last time that the men's movement existed. But I think the difference now is for the first time ever, men have access to information that makes them question the paradigm and the cultural process within which they grew up. So it wasn't as, like, you know, 20 years ago, you had to buy a book and you had to sit down and read that book and it had to be the right book and it had to land and you had to have, perhaps you were on your own to figure out what was the deeper meaning, what was underneath this. But now today we have Instagram, we have social media, you and I put out stuff that makes, that makes men question all kinds of things about their lives. You and I get to follow 20 other guys who we go, wow, that shit just blew my mind. And you and I are friends. Mm -hmm. We get to get on these type of conversations and go, wow, I'm going to walk away from this conversation different. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the challenge. That information is undeniable. Mm -hmm. Yet the roadmap or the confrontation that it creates, I'll say the confrontation that it creates doesn't often have a roadmap. Right. I remember listening to Carolyn Mace in my 20s, and I loved her. I still love her. She's a pistol. And she said, one of the challenges of modern society is we now have access to spiritual information, but we don't have a spiritual process. So, like, oh, fascinating. you may get literally the deepest wisdom, 
and you and you embody it and you absorb it and you you take it in but now you got you still got to pay your rent right <laughs> like you still got you got kids you got to feed yourself like you're like shit i got to make dinner tonight when that information used to be segmented into people for whom that stuff was taken care of you lived in an ashram you lived in a monastery you you weren't around women you were segregated you were only around other people who thought and were doing the same study you were Mm. Where now that information has gotten into the mainstream. And I'll say, so I'll say the same thing for men. Now they have a confrontation. Now men go, wow, there are all these guys who are living differently and giving me access to that information and permission to live differently. But now I have a choice, mm. right? I remember sitting down with my folks in my late twenties and saying, what did you guys want to do? Like, what did you really want to do out of college? And they both stared at me and they were like, we didn't want to do anything. You didn't have wants back then. We, we had to get a job and we had to get a job that we could hopefully stay in for the next 30, 40 years. The, the cultural idea of doing something that you love wasn't there yet. It, it wasn't in the collective. Mm. And so they like they didn't even have the option. It was like my dad was like, I got a job at IBM and I had the same job for 40 years. Like, who fucking cares whether I liked it or not? It paid the it paid the mortgage, it put you guys through college. Like my personal joy wasn't a thing. Mm. And so I think it's a beautiful challenge that men have now, but it's a challenge because mm. with the new information and with the new paradigms and with the new access comes a bit of responsibility that society is putting on them. Mm. But it's like, hey man, this stuff's out there now. I'm gonna, we're gonna ask you to change. We're gonna ask you to mature. We're gonna ask you to have good communication skills. We're gonna ask you to be intimate with your emotions and your feelings. We're gonna ask you to have this, understand what holding space is and the divine, and you're gonna have to interplay all of this. And most guys are like, wait a minute, what? Half of yeah. me still thinks I'm just supposed to get a job, not cheat, not drink too much, except when I play poker every month, right? Like, what do you mean there's these new responsibilities? Mm. So I think that's one of the main things wow. I feel in with men. Does that, does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think it, it brings up a few questions for me. One of those questions is about the role of information. And, mm. you know, when I hear you talk about that, one of the things I, I think I almost very quickly identify as a problem that so many men come to me, which is that, you know, information paralysis, mm. right? There's, there's this data junkyard that they've been shoved into, right? Mm. And, and in order to make a decision, I have to know more and learn more and understand more. And because there's so much out there, I, you know, I, I, I think of that probably old or rather tired illustration, but if I wanted to be a really phenomenal doctor 150 years ago, there were maybe, maybe the scope of 50 books that I would have to read to become one of the world's greatest or most well-read physicians. Right. Today, I might have to read a thousand, maybe even 2000 mm -hmm. to have the same level of understanding. If I keep going by exponential 
you know, math there. And my math is always faulty. Um, but I think we're now talking about millions and millions of data points mm -hmm. in order to feel like I've adequately mastered something going into the future. Sure. So of course, information cannot be the, the way we evaluate our, our experience or our, our preparation for life, mm -hmm. right? But I think for so many of us, that's exactly how we measure, right? And so I feel prepared if I've read a few good articles on it. Um, and our partners or the world at large evaluates it the same way. And I think that's one of the things you said, like, well, hey, now that we know more, Right. And, and they don't mean no experientially. I mean, this, this analogy always works for me. I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, roughly. And the Portland Trailblazers were a team that, that I just loved. And at the time, uh, Clyde Drexler, I don't know if you remember Clyde yeah, the Glide. Clyde the, Clyde the Glide. Right? <laughs> That's right. He was phenomenal. I mean, I just, and, and he took his, his team all the way to the championships. And, and uh, it was just so phenomenal to watch him. And as a kid, I knew all of his stats. I really did. Mm -hmm. And I got the chance to go to a game and sit about third row in and right beside where the Portland Trailblazers go in and out of the locker rooms. And it was like the greatest thing ever. And I remember yelling out as Clyde walks past me, Clyde, Clyde. Hey, man. And I this is so sad and delightful. <laughs> I, I bark out. I yell out a fact about his personal life. Like I literally yell out, this is so funny. I, I can't even remember. I, I don't know how I remember this. I yelled out the name of his girlfriend or his wife, something like this. I wow. thought something that would get his attention. Yeah. And I'll never forget the incredibly strange look that he gave me in that moment. Like, how the hell does like an 11 year old kid know? And of course, this is the days before iPhones or anything like that. Right, I, I right, must have right. heard it on the radio, something like that. Yeah. And but, but the look he gave me was, you don't know me, kid. Uh... And so, of course, right there, there's a difference between knowing mm -hmm. and knowing. Mm -hmm. Right. I can know all about Clyde and not really know him. And so I think we've mistaken mm -hmm. information for transformative experience or for truly knowing something so that we place an immense amount of pressure on ourselves, right. like, well, I understand mm -hmm. that now, mm -hmm. and on others. And so I think you're right. This really creates that crisis that I think Jewel expressed, again, a, another ancient analogy, Jewel, the singer, you know, like, she wants her lover to be fashionably sensitive, but too cool to care. It's like, we want it all. We expect it all. Right. That's a real bind, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's almost like the, the men have been invited into the same conundrum that women got pulled into 10 years ago, where now you can't just be, and, and if I'm going to say this in a way that may sound like I'm putting down each one of these sections, but it's not, you can't just be a mother. You have to be mm. a mom, the CEO of your company, you know, in perfect shape, uh, cooking organic meals, going to meditation circles, leading cacao ceremonies in your house, a perfect wow. yogi, like not having a single body hair. And men were like, whatever, we just have to go to work. And then <laughs> it's now, our one job. <laughs> it's this one thing. And now it's like, oh, you actually have to be an expert at consciousness. You have to be a, a, basically a sexuality teacher, a communications mm. expert, a meditator, a yogi, a surfer, a guitar player, have mm. a beautiful beard. Like it, it has to, we, we, you, a, a tip of the hat, sir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think you you nailed it when you said men now know about so much, but they don't know so much. Yeah. And so they're filling, like you were with, with Clyde, like you, we're filling our heads with, okay, I have 25 books I have to read just mm. to stay current. When in essence, what we have to do is throw all the books out and go outside. Mm-hmm. Go walk for two hours in the woods every day and you'll pick up more than any of these quote divine masculine books are trying to teach you. So I think that's a bit of the conundrum. I'd love to put the, the question back to you. What do you feel like is a main challenge that men are having right now? Yeah, I, I think you you get really close to the same set of thoughts I have on this. One of, one of the, the ways I would articulate it is I think for the first time in a really long time, um, men are being asked to step into a role that I don't think they've been invited into in probably largely 8,000 plus years within a civilized context, which is to be what I would call an initiated male. Mm -hmm. I I know that initiation gets a a lot of talk these days, and I think it's really important, really appropriate. Um, I spent a good deal of my time looking and and researching and studying um, from an anthropological lens. And I can't find a banned society on the planet that didn't invite its young males into some form of profound initiation where they had to confront their own mortality Mm. and detach from their own comfortability. And maybe that's expressed or been expressed by others, you know, detached from the soft world of the feminine or whatnot. But I think it's their own sense of comfort. Um, And almost every society pre-civilized expected that of their males. Mm -hmm. And without those set of lessons, their males became um, regressive members of society. They were untrustworthy. You couldn't trust them. Mm-hmm. Right. You couldn't entrust the the matters of the tribe to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that males are being invited into that place or, or maybe not even invited, being required to have that skill set today mm-hmm. in ways they have not been. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I think they've been tried and found wanting that mm. actually we we can't uh, we can't coerce or dominate or manipulate or um, bullshit our way through this that mm. actually we have to develop a strong um, and consistent inner core of self that is able to look at a world that is quite simply difficult quite simply incredibly challenging incredibly hard and know that I have the inner resources, to meet it, that I can't simply subjugate my way through it, which I think has been the civilizational strategy. Um, And, and of course, you know, to, to use a mythological sense, you know, those traditional cultures, they told stories of the males who didn't confront their own death. And the story that they tell of these males is they become vampires, Mm -hmm. right? What are vampires? They're undead creatures. They're creatures who are everlasting, incredibly powerful. And what do they look like? Well, they take on soft, delicate, uh, kindly, very civilized outward forms. But what are they doing? Well, they're draining, they're depleting. Mm -hmm. And and of course, we've created a society based upon this very image. Mm -hmm. It looks good. makes a lot of promises, but it's actually secretly depleting us of our resources. So that's how I express it, that we're living in a vampiric society with vampiric males. And right now we've realized it and we're saying it's time to do something you never have. Grow up. 
Mm. That word, right? Or the two words, grow up. It's it's like there's a call for maturity that didn't get matured. Like we were asking for something that needs to be marinated that wasn't marinated, but we're looking for the end result. And so I think a lot of the tension, to just to agree with you, that men feel is like, hey, I have to go through the process first. You're, you guys want the outcome and I can posture the outcome. I can fake the outcome, but it, it won't hold up. Mm-hmm. You actually have to be forged in that fire of initiation. You have to go through some shit. You have to go yeah. through the suck. I can't just have a really beautiful Instagram following <laughs> that shows just these nice pictures and then have someone meet me and go, oh, wait a minute. You haven't done any of this shit. That's right. like the Dan Bilzerian, you know, an entire culture built off of that idea. Oh, you're, this is all fake. Mm-hmm. Oh, you hire all these people. You, this company mm-hmm. isn't even real. Oh, shit. Wow, we, we had no idea. And we've so many men have been trying to emulate that as opposed to, like you said, what used to happen was, oh, no, you're going to have to build it all. You're going to have to build it. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to toil through it. And at the end of that, you will come out of that process a different person. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was training athletes, I'd say, the worst thing that you could do for me would be give me a pill that got me all my results tomorrow. I want to come in the gym at 6 a.m. I want to know what it's like to, you know, to have a sore back the next day, to have hands that are torn up, to be sore, to be like aggravated. I want to earn this. Mm. And I think a lot of men now are waking up to the fact that they have things they haven't earned internally. I have the house. I have the wife. I have the kids. I have the car. I am a mature man. Yet there's a 14-year-old boy running the show. And that eventually tumbles, right? It eventually, that house of cards has to come down. And it comes down a lot of times in in, in our age group. You have guys that either have a breakdown, like one, they blow it. Like I I just couldn't handle it. So I got my, you know, I, I I have a Coke habit now. Shit, how did that happen? And then they'll say things like, it's not me. I'm not a Coke guy. I don't get it. Like you found some way. Um, Or it just, it blows up in your face. You get divorced. The the kids leave. They don't talk to you. Something happens that, that, that requires you to be called into a different form of yourself. Mm. It requires you to go through the initiation of that. We've both gone through of loss of suffering of like, okay, I need to reorganize my insides, not reorganize my outsides. I think that's coming to a lot of men too. Well, let me ask you Mm. along those lines, you know, let's get, let's get non-conceptual here with one another. Sure. I'm really curious. And one of the things, you know, whenever I go into some of these interviews, we like as men to pontificate about concepts. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. But the truth is, you know, both you and I, if we have a place to be able to to share from, it's the fact that I think we have gone through things that really have been the crucibles by which these things have been defined. Mm-hmm. If you could pinpoint a moment in your life as as that kind of crucible, that kind of initiation where the the knife was stuck in you, mm-hmm. right? What would it be if you could just reflect on that and, and take us into that moment? Is there a moment? Yeah, Rainier, I remember literally sitting on a couch and my this was six years ago. My ex-wife had miscarried. 
She had told me that was the universe's way of telling her she needed to leave the marriage. I had then sat down with my business partner and he said, like, I think you and I should separate too and, and you should go to do something else. And I kind of fought to stay in the business. I was like, no, I can make it work. I'll be like a 20% partner and I'll still do this. I can't leave it. And then he and I had a conversation that he just said, you know, this isn't working. Like, I, I don't want to keep moving forward in this discussion with you. And I remember sitting there and swallowing and thinking, okay, I just got divorced. And, and, and the beauty of this, the morning, or maybe it wasn't even the morning. It was like two hours before he showed up. I got an email from my ex-wife who was, I was still married to at the time, who had been back and forth between like, I don't know, maybe we'll get divorced. Maybe we'll work it out. Maybe we should go to therapy. So she sends me the email like, this is done. And I, I remember telling my business partner, because he was like, hey, I need to come over and talk to you about something. And I was like, you know, today's not really the right day. Uh, and he goes, I'm about to leave town. This won't take long. Let's do it. He comes over, essentially says the same thing. And I went, okay, I just got divorced twice in an hour. And he leaves. And I remember sitting there and kind of putting my hand in my, or head in my hands and thinking, okay, this is rock bottom. Like, this is it. This, everything that you've built up till this point just went away. Now, what are you going to do? Mm. And it wasn't a pep talk. It wasn't happy. It wasn't like, okay, this is the opportunity we've been waiting for. It was fuck, 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 fuck. All right. This is it, man. Like, welcome to the, welcome to the game. Welcome to rock bottom. Welcome to the shit. Welcome to, I didn't have the terms for it at the time. Welcome to the Negrotto. Welcome to the belly of the beast. Welcome to the hero's journey. Didn't know any of that. It was just welcome to, to suck. But there was this tiny inkling of welcome to the process. Mm. This is tiny thing that like I didn't have a reference for or context for, but intuitively there was also a calm which was like, at least you're in the storm now. You're not waiting for the storm to show up. It's actually here. Okay, good. Like, I'd rather be getting punched in the face than wondering, am I going to get punched in the face? And this was the punches were here. Here we go. So that was, that was the moment, man. I, I remember it clearly. And from that point, the process actually did start. Wow. The process of healing, the process of growing, the process of falling apart completely. Mm. I was hanging on to all of these what ifs up until then. And so it was this terrible relief mm. for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. And I, I think the thing that I, I just heard you say, which is so powerful, and I, I don't want to dismiss it. Sure. Is that there's a crisis moment and then there's a process, <laughs> mm -hmm. a crisis and a process. And it yeah. always works that, you know, that way it's, it's never so simple as, well, this thing happened. And then it's like, I love what you said, this happened and that began mm -hmm. dot, 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 dot. Mm -hmm. And so it's really never even about an initiation. It's, it's like an entire threshold, a, a series of levels, right, that we walk through. It's a, it's a grudge match that begins to last over time so that it's like it's not a plateau. It's, it's an uphill climb. And I love that. I love that 
you're highlighting both the crisis and the process. I think that really resembles so much of my story. I, I, I think for me, that moment comes in, in two places. The first is really standing on the beach with my partner and looking her in the eyes and saying, I've betrayed you. Mm. And I've betrayed you in such a way that it's very public and, uh, and that it will have repercussions upon you, upon me, upon our family, upon, and, and, uh, and knowing in that moment, as I was communicating this to this person, I loved so deeply, so incredibly that, you know, I was lassoing a rock and pulling it down on my head. You know, it, it wasn't like I, it wasn't like life happened to me. I, I stood there. I made those choices, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing in that moment reporting now the consequences of the choices I've made, knowing that all the plates are coming down. Mm. Right. And knowing that I'll lose this person, knowing that I'll lose, you know, the family that I love, just really knowing it, Mm. knowing that I'll lose friends, knowing that I'll lose reputation, just knowing all of these things, which actually didn't really pan out that way as, as much as I knew them. But in that moment, really claiming something, saying, I will grow in the loss of all of these things, I will grow. Mm. That this is ground zero. This is this is the, the level, kind of like you're talking about. This is the bottom floor. And for me also, it was a profound relief. You know, I had I had covered up and and whitewashed and and created such a vault of secrets upon which life had been built that it was mm. always unstable. Every trimmer was a was a, a a tidal wave of terror in my heart that, you know, someday I'll lose it. Well, you know, I had just lost it. This was as good as it gets, you know, or as bad as it gets, as it were. And I think the second moment was, you know, probably two years later, as the consequences had continued to ripple out and my, my partner didn't leave my, my family didn't abandon me, but I had lost a lot. I mean, just lost unimaginably more than I, I really knew I would. And I'm sitting there in my car and I just am sobbing. I'm sobbing. And my, my wife is with me and she puts her hand on my shoulders and it was really being witnessed. What a profound thing to be witnessed at such a low point. And I remember kind of blurting out, when will it stop? When will it stop? And, you know, I don't know if God said it or she said it or it was in my head. I have no clue. But something said, it doesn't ever stop. And if you're going to fall in love with life, you have to fall in love with this place too. You have to fall in love with the storm. And in that moment, something really honest to God changed in me, Traver. Something changed. I realized in that moment, I had spent my entire life trying to get to the good stuff, mm-hmm. trying to get past and out of the storm and onto utopia or paradise. Yeah. And in that moment, I realized I had better fall in love with the storm too. Wow. 
So that was, that was sort of it for me. I mean, that was like a, a profound initiation and it was prolonged, I think, yeah. to highlight the crisis in the process there. But, but what a turnaround for me that that began to where I began to love reality as it is. Ooh, yeah. and that is, that requires such a level of maturity like a level of wisdom, like you have to go through that shit. It sounds like Rainier, right? You can't, right. you can't read a book about that in your thirties of like, Hey, you know, when you lose everything, it's really a beautiful thing because it's going to clear out a lot of junk and it's going to change you. You're like, mm. awesome. It doesn't work that way. It sounds mm. like that was the, the initiation was into totality rather than bifurcation and segmentation. Huh. Which so many of us, it's a naivete, isn't it? To be like, no, I just want that's the good. It. I just, I just, if everything's good all the time, then life's good. If something bad happens, then that's bad. If something right. challenging happens, like we need to pretend it didn't happen or move past it immediately. Mm. It sounds like a initiation into wisdom. Like if that's you talk it. to an older person, an, an initiated older person who's like, yep, wait till you, <laughs> wait till you're on your third marriage. Uh -huh. right? Like, wait, 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 wait until you have a kid get really sick. Uh -huh. Wait till someone dies in your arms. Mm. And you're like, oh, you've fucking been there. Mm. You've seen some shit and done some shit that's reorganized your entire consciousness and your entire body that I will never know or I haven't known up until this point. So as, as challenging, as challenging as I'm sure that is, when you get to take in, it sounds like because you accepted the maturation, you get to carry that with you. You're That's not right. a dude that just had something really bad happen. And now you've moved on to the next thing and you just have a little bit of a Coke habit. You know, just like a, a little one, because whatever. Just every once in a while on my birthdays, every <laughs> yeah. other week. Yeah, exactly. Which it feels like when people don't alchemize the lesson or they go through the process, it gets stunted. Mm. And then they're in, they have like this big open loop of like, oh, I just had loss. That's it. Right. right. And perhaps some things are just, you know, I've never lost a child. I've never experienced some things that I can't speak on is like, wow, there's got to be a beautiful lesson in there too. So I want to just put that out there as well. Hope you guys are loving this episode. We, we dive into some deep stuff here. Want to remind everybody on this call that I have a course called the Man Uncivilized course that really, if you're curious about this information and you're curious about how to live life as a man as a different way, please go check out. It's on my website, www.manoncivilized.com forward slash courses. And you'll see it along with a whole bunch of other courses. But really the Man Uncivilized one is the starter course. When I was just coaching and I was just working with men alone, this was the primary course that I was teaching. And now I've dropped it down by about $2,000 for what I was uh, charging before. So it's a great deal right now. Go check it out. The Man Uncivilized course. All right, back to Rainier. And I want to say, you know, stick with life. It will eventually kick you in the ass hard enough to where you'll have that moment. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's, um, the only way it doesn't happen is when we get real goofy about everything and start, you know, um, 
sticking our head in the sand and living in a world of belief and a world of hope and a world of, you know, intention and, and all these kind of nice things that get us out or help us avoid living in the discomfort of reality as it is. You know, I, I, I tell the men I work with, and I think you and I've talked about this before, stop hoping, don't hope anymore. Um, I also tell them, stop believing, don't believe anymore, right? Just stop it. Instead, look at reality as it is right now. And some people say, yeah, I had this story that things were really bad. And I, I've shed that story. And now I, and I've, I, I believe that things are really good. And I say, stop it. Mm-hmm. Don't believe that things are really good. They're not really good. Mm-hmm. Don't believe that things are really bad either. They're not really bad. <laughs> Drop the labels. Mm-hmm. Sit with what is. Sit with the totality of what is. And then you can begin to actually have decisions. Because once the lights come on, I mean, that's enlightenment, right? Enlightenment is turning on the lights. Mm-hmm. And then you can move around the furniture. Right. That's the really exciting thing. Um, but most of us, we just never turn on the lights. You know, Trevor, one of the things that this kind of all makes me think about is something that I was I was chuckling to myself the other day on, and I wanted to bring it up to you. And I I just I kind of want to explore this topic together. So the other day I was on a, a podcast that I think you were on also not too long ago, a mutual friend of ours. And um, she asked me, you know what does safety feel like? Mm. And as we're talking about so many of these things, what I'm realizing is, gosh, this is a lot of unsafe uh, experience we're having right now. Mm -hmm. But you have a very like clear proposition about safety. Mm -hmm. It's really when I think of when I think of you, like when I think of Traver, I think of a very specific approach to safety. And I'm wondering if we can talk about this, because I, I, I wonder if we have some disagreement on this. So sure. I'm gonna let you start and, sure, and sure, see sure. where we go from here. Would you share what you think of when you think of safety and its importance in this world? Yeah. So my, my take on this from what you're talking about is a little bit more of an outward view. And mm. it's the mantra is <clears throat> let others be safe as I walk among them. Mm. And this came from my old bodyguarding days. And it was kind of the mantra that we had as a team. And it was, okay, there's five guys in this room. If anything goes down in this room, these people have no idea how safe they are. They have no idea that instantly we're going to take over, get people out, make sure everybody's okay. And so I have guys adopt that mantra really just as a mindset when they're navigating the the external world. If you're sitting in a restaurant, where are you seated? I don't sit with my back to the door of a restaurant. I just can't. It drives me fucking crazy. And I'm not Rambo. I'm not jumping up to to break up arguments and to be the hero everywhere, but I have this idea. If something happens, I'm taking over. I'm going to be the one that handles it. I'm going to be the one that puts out the fire. I'm going to be the one that grabs the guy that's starting the issue, or I'm going to get my person who I'm with or my group who I'm with, I'm going to get them out of here. So Mm. it's the mentality is, it's a bit of a protector mentality. You know, I, I put this or proposed it to the world after that woman in England was killed, um, coming home, you know, just walking home and said, imagine if the default experience of women was that if there's a group of men around them at any time, that they would actually be safe. Mm. When in essence, the reality is if there's a group of men around them, most likely they're not safe. Mm-hmm. Someone in that group is a danger. Or if there's a lone man or two man, the proposition is most likely they have to be on guard. Like we teach women, walk to your car with your keys between your knuckles. Like don't go out at night. Don't do all these things. 
So I wanted the idea oh. of men to be initiated into a protector mentality mm-hmm. of just like, hey, if I bump into you in the street, you're you're the one of the safest people there. You're going to be safer than you've ever been before, right? Wow. And what's interesting, Rainier, about this is uh, I went out with a girl in New York a couple of years ago. And I invited her. Oh, I just met her. We went out, I had coffee. It was really interesting. I was like, cool. How about I make you dinner? And I, I remember the night before I woke up, or so the morning of, I woke up at like 5 a.m. to go train a client. And at like two, three, and four, she had sent me messages anxious as hell. And was like, hey, just want you to know I'm not feeling really comfortable about you making me dinner. Then it was like, you know, I can't do this. Like women shouldn't be alone in men's apartment. And like the last was like, I, I just, I can't do this. Like you don't understand. Like this isn't safe. Like I, and, and I remember sitting down with her. We finally, I like we talked about this. We went out, we grabbed a cup of coffee. And I remember saying to her, like, if you're with me, this is the safest you'll ever be in your life. Like you and I walking down the street, this is the safest you'll ever be. And what was so interesting was her reply, which is, I'm not worried about walking down the street and someone having a problem with me or giving me a problem. I'm worried about being home alone with you. Mm. And I went, oh shit. Why is that? She's like, because it's, it's you, it's my date. It's not this random stranger that I'm worried about. It's the dude who I actually like and then come home with. And so it, it, it messed me up, right? It was like, wait a minute. Oh, so you're ex- that was your experience of men, your experience of intimacy with men. So what it, I took away from it was I actually have to do more work on myself to make sure that I am safe on all of these deep levels, right? My intentions are clear. I know my triggers. I know my shadow, I know how I approach people. I know my conversation in a date. I know what my wants and needs are. I know what my boundaries are. Not, I know how to take a dude down and elbow him in the face if he tries to mug her. That's not the problem. So, yeah, so my view of safety is twofold. One is that external, because that's that's my world, right? I was a bodyguard. I was a fighter. Like, I I understand. I teach self-defense. But then on the inner part, for I say for men... It's you need to create a safe person. Mm. You need to be safe to be around, not just be a protector, but first you have to not be a danger. Mm. That's your job. That's mm-hmm. first and foremost. Like it's the Hippocratic Oath. Like first do no harm. Mm-hmm. First make sure someone alone in a room with you is safe because you're safe. So I don't take it as far. Like I, I, I imagine you know, people feeling safe in their own bodies is a different experience than being safe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. If experiencing safety, like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. That's very different than you're okay because you're with me. Mm-hmm. So that was my frame of it or my view of it or my like postulation. Yeah. I love that, by the way. I, um, for one thing, what I love about the perspective you just shared is it's very physical, right? We're, we're not... We're not getting uh, very conceptual with it. We're not getting right that like you're not going to get hurt when you're with me. And by hurt, I mean, you know, like this isn't going to be a, a rapey situation. Right. Right. <laughs> Literally, you know, and Literally. I think I think our species just in general from an anthropological frame is just 
of all the primates, I think we're the rapiest. Like genuinely, when I read, uh, you know, books on the topic, I, I there's a reason why our particular species of primates is the only one that develops memories after and maintains memories after we've um, breastfed or nursed. Well, why huh. is that? Huh. Um, well, because you know, primates um, who maintained or who had memories were seen as off limits. A male wouldn't try and reproduce with them. Um, Our species, the females, decided it was a great idea to maintain those even after they stopped breastfeeding. Why? Mm -hmm probably because they were highly targeted by males of our species over and over. And it was a natural and quite understandable line of defense to mm. project that I'm off limits. Right. Leaving because on. our males weren't actually very good at taking no for an answer. Now that's right. turns out like 2.5 million years of hominid evolution. That's mm -hmm. really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think when we talk about safety, God, it's like, please, yes, let's introduce something that's new in the innovation of our species. Hasn't been a lot new for quite a few years, mm -hmm. just looking at it in the way we just did. So yeah. I think when I hear you talk about safety and just bringing it down to its physicality, I'm really, really interested in that. Yeah. I think the, the other side for me, which isn't so much about the physicality, but rather is about a bit of a mind state. I get super interested in when safety became the promise of our species. Mm. Like when, when did safety become something we were interested in? Mm. I start to think, well, is this a promise of religion? Did religion, for instance, advocate for safety? And I, I can't think of one religion, you know, that, advocates for safety. God was certainly never safe. Um, unless, of course, we're talking about the retribution that he decides to meet out on the people who hurt us in the end. I mean, that feels pretty good, but I'm not sure that's very safe. Uh, Buddhism, you know, arguably would, would be something, but they're not very safe either. I mean, they certainly ask us to do violence to our mind and our thoughts to a certain extent, right? There's a, a certain kind of self uh, analysis or doubt that comes in that I would say is a kind of unsafety to my ego. Uh, so when I look at religion, I think, well, gosh, one of this age old things that has been around for a very long time, hasn't promised safety. Where are we getting this idea? Is it law enforcement? But I don't think law enforcement promises safety either. It again, promises retribution, right? Like there aren't cops patrolling the street to prevent violence. They're, they're actually punishing purveyors of violence, right? That's the best they can do. Like, oh my God, I got mugged. Please come rescue me. Right. Um, and, and then punish the person who's the wrongdoer. So what in the world is going? So my brain starts to think like, when did we, when did we accept this as a value as something that was preeminent? And I have a feeling it actually has to do with a civilizational promise mm. and that civilizational promise of safety whether physical or emotional was actually, you'll be safe within the walls. Mm. You'll actually be safe here within the walls. We'll make sure that predators don't get to you, that other tribes can't affect you. We'll make sure that you have the security of bread every day. And we'll make sure that you have lots of enjoyment. The problem with that is civilization and the city didn't really ever deliver on its promises right? People were more likely to die from war, early deaths. People were more likely to die from disease and people were more likely to die young. 
Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't that fulfillment on the promise actually till after the World War II. And of course, when we look at the 20th century, that was a terribly unsafe place. So I start to think, gosh, where are we getting this? What's happening with it? And is it real? Can we actually guarantee or promise safety? For my perspective, I start to think, actually, I can't. I can't promise or guarantee safety. When I look at my kids, God, I've got four beautiful children. Trevor, I got to be honest. The thing, it it drives me crazy to imagine that they would go out into the world and be unsafe in it. As a father, that's one of the most profoundly frightening things. I feel constantly out of control in this. I can share with you infinite stories that have already happened. I remember when my son Judah, he was three years old when the first time that I got a call and, and the call was from my wife who was in the ambulance and she said, we're on our way to the hospital. Judah is having uncontrollable seizures and he stopped Mm. breathing. Um, Jesus. That was one of those like world ender moments. Like, so I start, I leave my lunch in the middle of the lunch and I'm driving to the hospital just to, just to get there in the hopes that I get there before, before what, but before my worst fear that he could be gone, Mm. you know, um, and, wow. and and thank God he survived. Yeah. Um, and and all of these experiences, you know, I have a, a 16 year old son who has had now has his first serious girlfriend. She invited him to prom, and he's so excited. And you know what I'm feeling? I'm feeling like oh, I hope to God she doesn't break his heart. Mm-hmm. So so safety, right? Like mm-hmm. we want our loved ones to feel safe. I don't want them to hurt. But I tell you what, I teach as a father, I teach them how to not be safe necessarily, but how to get through something when it all falls apart, Mm -hmm. because life falls apart, Mm -hmm. because relationships fall apart, Mm -hmm. because we do get hurt, because we are unsafe. Mm -hmm. I want them to to be as, you know, Nicholas Taleb, the the famous Lebanese-born statistician and stock trader, calls, you know, Mm anti-fragile, to where it's not just that they're safe from fragility, but even when things fall apart, that they're actually able to move through that. Mm. So resilience is the thing I teach, not that he won't get hurt. Because, you know, as one of my professors said, every relationship ends in either death or divorce. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, and so I wonder how much we've created a value or a false idol of safety. Mm. That's, that's one of the questions I would ask you, like, is that something I can really guarantee? Mm. And how do I work with that? You can't. I don't think you can at all. I mean, we've both talked about sort of rock bottom and and all of the things that people experience other than us that are infinitely more traumatizing, that are, you know, actual war, actual famine, actual assault, actual rape, all actual violence, like actual, actual violence. And so, no, I don't think you can guarantee it. I think you can prepare yourself and sort of stead yourself for it, Mm. right? Like Mm. I want to have skills. I want to have a mindset. I want to have training. I want to be in an unsafe, like this is why I love jujitsu. It's Mm. an unsafe environment in a safe frame, right? Someone wrapping their hands around my throat and squeezing it until I tap is if, if you just walked in off the street and you had no context, you'd think it's insanity. But yet, Mm -hmm. if it happened in the street, I've had it happen 10,000 times. I would still, I wouldn't leave my body. I wouldn't freak out. Like, I've been here before. And yet, how much of my life needs to be preparing for something that is a minute possibility of actually experiencing? 
It's not. But I need to find my own personal recipe of mm-hmm. resilience. And yes, the world's going to come and go like, oh, cool. You're really good at defending a choke. Let's see how you do with heartbreak. Oh, your, your def- choke defense doesn't work on this. Cool. Now you have some new skills. Or we surround ourselves yeah. in community, right? So mm. I know like, okay, if I ever get, the, if I ever hit rock bottom again, I now know I have 10 guys who I can call and say like, I'm in it. I'm at rock bottom. I need help. Please mm. come help me. So I think that's yeah. how we, 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 we pre- not prepare for it, but like, yeah, we, we just like prep for it in some other way or like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm lost for words here. No, that, that actually, that really, that is so good because what that instantly makes me think of is how is children who develop in a certain way. If I keep a child in bed, you know, like from very early on till as they're maturing, they will develop, you know, a, a deprived state of being. Their muscles will atrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, everything will kind of break down. They'll become rigid and fragile, mm-hmm. right? And whereas if I put that child in an environment where they're healthy, they're fed, their needs are taken care of, they move, they grow, they develop, it, it, it makes them much less likely to, quote, fall apart in the end. And so what I love about that is we create environments of evolutionary adaptivity, places where where deep safety. And I think that's what you're really talking about, a deep safety where I'm able to be prepared in the moment to both communicate safety for others and to myself. Mm. And I'm able to bounce back from the hits when they come. Sure. Your kids are going to skin their knees, right? Like you're not out there be like, don't ride the bike this will inevitably lead to a skin knee and we can't handle that. You're like, Uh, Hey, wear the damn helmet. So your head doesn't get knocked around, but you're going to skin your knees. And when mm -hmm. you do, you're going to learn that's part of the game. And you're going to come back to me. I'm going to tell you, you're okay. We're going to put a bandaid on it and we're going to throw you back on that bike. And so, yeah, I I love what you said. I think it's, we need to be inoculated with little bits of unsafety we need right. to get bumped around as humans. We need to go through hard things. We need to. It's the mm-hmm. pain is the initiation into wisdom and growth. And so without that, like, oh man, this this is hard. This is, I, I don't feel I'm out of my comfort zone. Unless right. we have that, you're right. We just, we fall apart. We actually don't thrive. We're that kid stuck in bed. You're like, wait a minute, but you're perfectly safe. <sighs> yeah, but I'm not human. I'm not, I'm not out there with, there's no friction with the world. There's no tussle. There's no, there's no experience here. And that's really what you're creating from my perspective. I'm like 30,000 feet away, but that's, that's one of the things you know, I talked about, or you talked about rather building a company, the uncivilized nation. This is, these are groups of men. These aren't entirely safe groups. I'm guessing they're not entirely like groups dedicated to, to they're challenging one another, Mm -hmm. right? Actively sparring in such a way where they're growing and developing and becoming those places where routine shocks are happening that make the container stronger. Is that right? A hundred percent. You and I have, you know, both know Connor Beaton and he sent me a, a a picture. It's, it's a, the, the mantra of our men's group. And it's because he and I are in the same one together. And if you take the word fuck you and you cut it in half 
laterally. So it's like the top says fuck you and the bottom says love you. And you take the, the top of that and you squeeze them together. He's like, this is what men's work is. It's mm. both of these together. <laughs> this is what happens in these containers where you're like, God damn it. You guys just called me the, you called me forward and I'm pissed because it's friction. It's, it's, dis- it's uncomfortable. But wow, you're still here and you're actually doing it because you love me enough to demand more of me. Mm. You love me enough to demand my highest version. And so, wow. yeah, God, fucking, thank you. Like that's the experience. So yeah, there's, there's a safe container mm-hmm. but within that safe container. There's moments of unsafety because there has to be in order there for there to be growth. Wow. I think that's so powerful. So it becomes as with everything in life, a both and. Yeah. And yeah. I think the, the, well, the French philosopher Jacques Derrida, he would have probably, he was always drawing slashes between words like impossible. It would be like mm-hmm. I am slash possible. It was both impossible and possible at the same time. Right, right, I think right. here he would draw, you know, unsafe, un slash safe that it's it's both a safe and an unsafe container and it's we really want that 100 percent. no different than i view a jujitsu school right or a gym or a weight something where you're like okay we're gonna play with unsafety but at the end like the tap is everything's back to hey we're back to normal everybody's Mm. and everyone's under the same roof and the goal is that enlightenment the goal is if I go easy on you, yeah. you're not going to learn. Right. But if I just right. smash you to smithereens every day, you're also not going to learn. So it's this yeah. mix of, okay, how do we give ourselves a dose mm. of unsafety, knowing that there's a foundation of safety underneath us? That's it. And that's how we want to be as, you know, I, I think that's, that's how we want to be as lovers, mm-hmm. as friends right? That, that we would be those kind of people who step up to the plate in hard moments, who say true things, real things, or even hard things, who, who don't always get it right, who, who aren't built like candles that blow out when the wind blows, but are built like, you know, fire, like when the wind blows, the fire grows. Mm. And that's how we really want to be in relationship. Mm, like, so that that you and I are somehow or enough, you know, like, we want to be the fire and wish for the wind. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a beautiful way of, of beginning to navigate life. I love that, man. Amen, brother. I think we can we can mic drop on that. Rainier, for, for my audience who doesn't know where to find you or get more of you, where are you hanging out these days? Is there a website you can send us or a, a social media handle? Yeah, Rainier Wild over at Instagram, also RainierWild.com. Man, the thing I'm most excited about, drew a lot of inspiration from, from you and you pioneering the way. I am dropping a book uh, in July. Uh, wow. An anthology of 30 meditations on selfing in relationship to others. That's becoming a self in relationship. Beautiful. I'm so excited about that. Where can people get that? Uh, I think they'll be able to get it on Amazon and certainly from my website. I haven't quite, I mean, man, I'm letting you in on the ground floor of notifications. I haven't, haven't talked a lot about this yet. So you're getting it here first, folks. I love it. And just for people who aren't going to have a pen and paper or aren't going to read, can you spell your name for us? Sure. R-A-I-N-I-E-R, Rainier Wild, W-Y-L-D-E. So in other words, everything nonsensical about that name, Rainier (laughs) Wild. 
So spell it how it sounds and then go do it another way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Trevor, it. how about you? Where can my audience find you? Where can people dig deeper into your stuff? Beautiful. So you can find all my stuff at manuncivilized.com. And if you just throw a couple forward slashes in there, forward slash the book gets you my book forward slash the nation gets you into the men's groups. And I'm on Instagram at Traver Bohm, which T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. And that's pretty much where I'm spending my time these days. Love it, man. This was so good. Such a pleasure, brother. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on and, and I look forward to doing this again. You as well. Cheers. Talk soon. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.